There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition. Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com. It's time for a healthy dose of According to the Castles, the show where we talk about marriage, family, faith, health, nutrition, fitness, and so much more. And now, please welcome your hosts, Amy and Trey Castles. Hey, everyone. It's Amy Castles. How you doing, Trey Castles? We have a very special guest, Jason Shepard. Hello. Hello. Good to see you. So a little bit about Jason. Jason is the pastor of Church Project in the Woodlands, Texas. Church Project is a church of house churches started in 2010 with the pursuit of rethinking and returning to what Christ originally intended his church to be began as only 40 people, and now it's thousands of people with dozens of house churches across the city, state, and even countries. He's a podcast host of Start With Seven, and he is an author of many books and of many projects. I mean, your bio is so long. (laughs) There's so much (laughs) that you've accomplished, and it is truly amazing. So let's dig into it. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be with you guys. Y'all are great. I'm glad I know you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming. Okay, so let's start with Church Project. You started Church Project with the pursuit of rethinking and returning to what Christ originally intended the church to be, because I thought it was a country club. I thought church was a country club. <laughs> <All> so <right. laughs> I think I think a lot of us have made that mistake. Yeah. So what is, what is the church, though, to you? Well... You know, I mean, the church is crucial. It's Jesus loves it. It's his bride. Um, we're 
we're going to get married. <laughs> you know, uh, it's something he's invested his life in and died for, rose again for. So I think if we're going to be a part of it, we need to know what it is. And especially those of us who lead it, we really need to know what it is. Absolutely. And so uh, I was leading in church for a very long time. It was never my dream growing up. Never thought I would do anything like that. But God seemed to redirect my life along the way. And I uh, started leading in the local church. But I would read my Bible compared to what I experienced. And I saw a disconnect. And so I just started doing a lot of study. If I knew God was calling me to work in a church and lead it. And so I studied biblically, historically, and globally the church, and I thought, oh, there's something off here. Mm. And uh, I, there's a verse in the Bible that says it has a form of godliness but denies its power. And, uh, and so for me, uh, that applied to the church. There was a form of godliness. There's a lot of good, but it's denying its full power. So I boiled down what I saw throughout Scripture into a few DNA elements that were present in every church across all people, places, and time. And then I just left. I had no money, no people, no place, no name, uh, no security at all. I had a leap maybe, of faith. It was, yeah. But I mean, I was so convinced and convicted about this. I didn't have clarity about what was ahead, but I had some core convictions. And so we just started this and uh, had no idea what I was doing. Just had some clear convictions and uh, trusted the Lord. But I was also at a point to where I said, I'd rather do, you know, I'd rather serve tables at a restaurant than really keep building something that I think is not heading in the right direction. Again, it wasn't bad, all the places where I was working, but I just knew there was something more. Mm -hmm. Well, I know when I, I first walked into Church Project, it was, it was profoundly unique and confusing at the same time mm -hmm. because the traditionalized churches that I would go to were very formalized, you know, you had the music, you had the theatrical performance, you had the the pastor get up and speak for 20 minutes, then music afterwards, and it was very, you know, um, uh, large churches with a lot of things in them, and when we came to Church Project, it was the simple, biblical, and relevant concept. It, it yeah. blew me away, because that's what it was, and yeah. you're, you're on concrete floors, you're gathering with with people and and you're hearing a message and the simplicity of that was all you needed. Yeah. And it was beautiful how you did it. Well, thanks. You know, I, I, um, one of the guiding questions we had early on was were, would the early church fathers, <clears throat> excuse me, with the apostles, would they have had this conversation? Would they have asked the questions that a lot of us are asking as we lead in church? You know, I don't think they were trying to uh, be attractive or attractional or impress people with their buildings or their programs or their approaches. Uh, there was something, the essence that they cared deeply about. Mm. But a lot of churches that I worked in and most churches I don't know were spending time having conversations that the early apostles would never have had. No. So those are some <laughs> guiding questions that we had. Mm -hmm. What about house churches? Where did you, when did it click? Do you remember the moment that you were like, yes, that's it? Mm -hmm. A church of house churches. Yeah, no, I don't remember a moment it clicked. You know, for me, everything in life compounds from investments that I made when I was 22 that are compounding now, uh, reading my Bible from the time I was 14, working in churches from the time I was 18, you know, 49 now. So all these things in our life compound, even what we invest in our marriage and with our kids. And so mm -hmm. I think these things just continued to compound for me. So there weren't any moment of, that something happened didn't seem to be a great moment of revelation. It might be 
the small next thing. And so maybe some new nomenclature came or a new way to express this came. Like when we started Church Project, I immediately didn't have the phraseology of Church of House Churches. But I had these convictions from a lot of years of study of um, how a church would start in one place. When the Apostle Paul would go into town, he would start a house church. That, that was it. And then this house church would multiply, but it was connected under one eldership, one authority. Mm-hmm. They were connected as one church in many house churches. And so everything just continued to evolve with language and leadership and structure. That is something I see that's so important is language and leadership and structure because there are a lot of churches that are forming in people's homes and who you follow as a leader. Mm-hmm. We're, we're human nature. We, yeah. we like to have a leader of some kind. Yeah. Um, and some people are the leaders, but many are the followers. Uh, and the, the whatever is being taught can be really off. Yeah. <laughs> Things can get, especially whenever you're behind, you know, in a closed space. Yeah. Um, there, and there's privacy, like crazy things are going on. Yeah. And it's giving churches a bad name too. It is. It's, well, we're trying to recapture. I mean, for me growing up, the name house church meant, you know, angry people who made their own dresses and churned their own butter. You know, it <laughs> yeah. was just, you know, children of the corn kind of stuff. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, these are people who, those David are the weird Koresh. people. Yeah, I mean, you know, so we're trying to recapture language, too. Mm -hmm. And for us, I mean, we could come up with a new language, but this is biblical language. It's all throughout the scriptures to the church that meets in somebody's home. Mm -hmm. And so um, I want to have enduring language. So for me, a timeless language would be a biblical language. So that's that's where we're using the word house church. But uh, the problem is people are reacting to what they've seen wrong and yeah. And all, all, all these churches. And so their expression, the only option they see is, I'm going to make a, a house church and we're going to do it right. But then you have other problems. We have no uh, we have no accountability outside of this little bit of community in this house church. There's no accountability or oversight. We have a, we're fairly impotent. We don't have much power. We can't affect our city in this way. And so uh, we don't have any support. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a guy come to our church not too many years after we started I met him on a Sunday, and he said, uh, I said, hi, nice to meet you. What's your story? And he said, well, I'm here. I came from a, I had a house church for the last five years. And I said, well, great. Why are you here today and not with these people? He said, well, the pastor of um, my house church got cancer. They had to sell their business. We used to meet in their restaurant. They had to move away to go live with family. And so the house, the house church dissolved. And I said, well, one, I'm, I'm really sorry your house church pastor and friend has cancer. Number two, I'm sorry your house church dissolved. I said, but here we're a church of many house churches. I said, so we have a whole community that would have helped them, supported them, resourced them. I mean, we Mm -hmm. probably would have helped finance some of their care, and we would have cared for their family, and we would have had somebody else who could step in and lead when they weren't able. Mm -hmm. And so having a a community Mm -hmm. of house churches that's supported, accountable, cares for one another, uh, rather than isolated and house churches individualized yeah. that that for me is the beautiful picture of the body it is your slogan or i got mission would you say or simplicity for the sake of generosity you focused almost 10 million dollars in the first 12 years and when i say you you the mm-hmm. elders yeah. it's not just you it, there are elders in the church um sure. that have put $10 million towards globally-centered ministries um, or gospel-centered ministries yeah. and house church 
planting and church planting. Yeah, I mean, I think now we're closer to uh, almost $15 million that we've directed. These are guiding principles. I think, you know, culture, culture is so important. And so we wanted to infuse early on in the life of this church community certain things that would guide who we were. So phrases are, phrases are expressions of ideas, right? And so a church, a house church is connotes something you can mm-hmm. there's a lot of depth below that phrase there's also a lot of depth below the word simplicity but why simplicity and so people say let's be simple but why so for us we have i mean jesus's ministry was simple uh it's easier to find the essence of something if it's simple you know mm-hmm. a great thinker of the past said the most difficult thing is to keep things simple but also we wanted generosity to guide a lot of what we did and one of the reasons we can explain our simplicity and people can buy into it is, hey, part of our simplicity is for the sake of generosity. There are also other reasons, but generosity has been a guiding principle. So we use this phrase all the time. Uh, for example, we're looking at our anticipated giving, which many people call a budget, <clears throat> anticipated spending. You know, uh, how much money do we anticipate we'll have next year and what are we going to spend it on? I do that as a family. Mm-hmm. We do that as uh, different organizations that I lead. We do that as a church. And so um, we're looking at what do we think we're doing with our spending next year? So we have a lot of things that are unchanging. We're only having to review a certain percentage of things. But we use phrases reduce and refine uh, to guide everything we do, including our budget. So we look at staffing, buildings, calendar, even budget. So simplicity for the sake of generosity combined with reduce and refine. uh, We're always keeping things, you know, targeted. And it's all because of language or ideas that we put into language that we all share. But those are your solid foundations. So it's easy to fall back on that and say, oh, is that simple? That's not being simple. That's exactly right. It makes it consistent. Go ahead. No, I, 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 and, and I hope I get this right. But when, when we first started there in, in 2012, I think it it was unheard of for a church to be giving 40% of their budget. And then it, it, it quickly moved into 50% of the budget. Mm-hmm. And so half the money that goes in goes out and half of the money that, that comes in stabilizes and, and funds the church. And so yeah. that, that to me, that concept is still to this day unheard of. And it's pretty and unusual. It, it's extremely unusual. And that's the beauty of that simplicity for generosity. It's yeah. amazing. Well, we have to have different operating systems and everyone has an operating system based on uh, their convictions of how things should be approached. So most churches are super centralized, and they believe that clergy should lead everything. So all, honestly, all of this gets back to theology. Mm-hmm. So uh, some people believe that someone identified as a clergyman has to be the one to do all these spiritual things. You know, you have mm-hmm. to be set apart and maybe seminary and whatever to do baptism or communion or weddings or funerals or whatever other pastors do. But uh, theologically, I have a lot of disagreement with that. Although I've been to seminary and had people lay their hands on me a long time ago and call me to this. So um, we've taken away what the Bible calls the priest of the believer. So most churches are over-clergified because only certain identified and elevated and separated clergy can do these things that all of our house church pastors do, right? Right. And so, so most churches... The statistic that I heard years ago was 98% of churches keep 97% of money in their walls. But why is that? It's two, I think, broken uh, doctrines. One, it's the clergification of the church. We've taken away the priesthood of the believer. And now, you know, 
only special sanctified people, whoever they are, can do things. Mm-hmm. And then we have we have sacred people and we have sacred place. So people think this building is a sacred place where all the sacred things happen. And so the reason they're spending so much money on their building is, well, that's a sacred place. But we can't find that anywhere in the New Testament. So the Apostle Paul came out of that, right? This is the temple or the synagogue. This is a sacred place. And these are the priests. These are the sacred people. But then Jesus said, wherever two or three of you are gathering, he wasn't saying two or three people make a church. He was saying, wherever you gather as a church, I'm going to be there with you. He, he took away the idea of sacred place. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why the early church was moving around all the time, even by the thousands. They moved from the temple courts to Solomon's Colonnade, which is a lecture hall next to the temple. We've been there together mm-hmm. um, uh, next to the Temple Mount up top, mm-hmm. uh, the Dome of the Rock. We uh, They moved to other places. So we don't have a sacred place. Uh, we say space is our sa- Space is not sacred, but sacred things happen in space. Mm. So space isn't sacred. So the reason churches can't be generous is because they have to pay a lot of people to do all the clergy things, and then they have to do, they have to have this great building where all the sacred things happen. For me, we can meet in a warehouse or a grocery store or a gym. Mm-hmm. We share that space with our city. We rent our space out. I mean, we're mortgage neutral. You know, yeah. that's our goal. Sometimes tenants will come and go or rentals will come and go. But last year we were mortgage neutral, maybe even a little mortgage positive. So we're able to give more people away, more money away. We don't go hire more people. We just more fund away. more church plants yeah. or support more ministry. So, yeah, we think all of these things are tied to theology. Yeah. I think that's beautiful, and 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 you know just the maturation of church project going from the forty people into the old Krogers at the parking lot, mm-hmm. and then after the the horrific you know uh, flood of Harvey, you know the opportunity came through Legends. Mm-hmm. It's a ninety thousand square foot complex. Yeah, one hundred fifteen. Yeah, sorry, yeah, one hundred fifteen thousand. Yeah. And now you know talk a little bit about what you guys are doing with that for for the city, for the community, for the church, for everything and, and how you're using it. Yeah, you know I, I tell I mean we had 75 church planters at our in our building last week from all over the nation in a couple of different countries. We hosted uh, 500 over a period of two months through another organization. I mean we're meeting with church planters all the time. We bring them to our space and we tell them I tell them don't don't get a building. You know, you don't need it uh, just for a gathering place on Sunday or for staff. You know, our our, mm-hmm. our staff would occupy like 7 to 8% of our building footprint. We don't need great space. You know, don't get a building just to use for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. That's bad stewardship. If you have a building, you need to design it in such a way and you have to have the philosophy that you can share it with your city and then you can steward it and capture money that you can use for the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so we have space that we use for sacred things, like a Sunday gathering, but then we also share it with ministries in our city, and then we steward it and we make money. We have. I, I like to tell people, I can't rent my building out if I have Noah's Ark painted on the wall. you know. And so we do like almost a little pop-up on Sunday morning in our own building. And uh, otherwise, most churches have designed their space to be used for you know four to six hours a week yeah and so we're able i mean we have companies come and pay us tens of thousands of dollars to rent our space for a couple of days 
And then the next day we'll have a blood drive. You know, they're not paying mm-hmm. anything to use our building. We have ministries that will use our building for free. We had a ministry that um, if you use a massive uh, auditorium space, it costs money to have crews come in and take over. But they had spent $75,000 for their gala at a local convention hotel the year before. And this year they spent a fraction of that. Mm-hmm. So they pay us a little bit for that space. But we share space with ministries in our city. And we steward it. We make money off of it so that we can give more, you know, plant more churches and support more ministries. The ecosystem and, and, That's right. and the way that it just, it, it, it's a natural flow of ecosystem. It's yeah. beautiful. We had six sports teams on our fields yesterday. Yeah. You know, the, the, that, that organization pays us a little bit. Um, but it's, they need a place and it's good for the church. <laughs> you know, yep. yeah, it, it's stewardship for me. Mm. It's, it's almost a community center at the same time, but it, that it's also right. a meeting place. It's your meeting place that's, that couples as a community center that's doing outreach constantly. Y'all are constantly doing things for the community and partnering with nonprofits in the area. Yeah. And soon, Good City... Co-work. There's Good City Co-work, but yeah. there's Good City Coffee. Yeah. And then, and these are all ministries. These are all yeah. nonprofit that's organizations right. themselves. Mm-hmm. And then what about uh, the Good City... Um, the health, the health clinic is yeah. called Good City Health. Yeah, that's How's right. That? So we've uh, it is Good City Health. We've uh, designated space that is being retrofitted even now as a as a clinic, and so it's taken you know many months this year to get this approval from the Texas Medical Board that took you know six months and a lot of money. We were raising money for it last year we, before the end of the year. Yeah, and we we just needed to see, hey, is our community of believers behind this? Yeah. If we don't have the money, we can't move forward. And so when we got the money, we began moving forward. And so because it costs a lot of money to go through this process of, you know, getting approval and licensing from the from the Texas Medical Board. Mm-hmm. And so I have a group of doctors in our church who are on this nonprofit board, uh, one specifically leading it, others supporting it. And um, yeah, so we're in the process, and, and our church gave significantly to it for all the build out. And so that money's been designated and it's there and starting to be used for all of these things. And so we think um, probably at the end of the first quarter next year, being beginning of second, we'll be operational. That's our, that's our goal right now. So it's a clinic for, um, the uninsured and underinsured in our community. Mm-hmm. Right next to it is space where ministry partners in our city, rather than paying for office space, they can they can day work out of this space. And they're also not alone. M- many of the ministries that we work with, we know, hey, they don't have office space, they're working out of their house or a coffee shop, but they need space, but they don't have money, most of them. Right. And most of them and they are, need are very lonely. They need people around them. That's right. So we're creating a space for them to, some are already using it. The space isn't finished, but yeah, it's just, you know, again, it's stewardship. How can we use this space every day rather than just a couple of hours to serve our city? It's awesome. I love it. Okay. So now that everyone's heard your mission and how amazing all these projects are, and hopefully y'all are all inspired too. Um, I've got some questions for you Uh-oh. that I feel like... People want to ask these questions, but either A, they don't want to sound stupid, or B, they actually are very intelligent people. There's a lot of people who are very intellectual. Yeah. They have an intellectual mind. They're very... Um, smart. Thoughtful. They, they're, they're smart. Um, and they have strong questions that yeah. if somebody does not have a solid answer, they are not going to even pay attention or listen. <laughs> okay, my question is, for a non-believer or someone who is just curious but reserved, 
what is the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> Simple question. What is the Bible? Well, it's a great question. I think I think there's another question behind that question for me, and that is, okay, is there a God? And if so, uh, does that God interact with his creation? And so is there a God? And if so, would that God want to interact with his creation? So, you know, I grew up in church, but I wanted to make sure that uh, I owned my own faith. And so when I went to college, I, I knew a lot of people would go to college and they'd you know, live a life where they went crazy, maybe had some regrets. I didn't want to do that, but I did want to rebuild my faith. So I had a question, is God real? Is this just some construct in my mind? And if so, what is he like? Those are my questions. Is God real? And if so, what is he like? So I studied every major religion, uh, many minor religions, and every general major world philosophy. I spent uh, probably six months just thinking deeply about all those things. I didn't have any friends where I went to school. I didn't really want to spend time with my roommate for a lot of reasons. And so I just sat. I mean, there's a picnic table with a light under it. And other than the, you know, moss, I sat there. I loved it for hours every night. I would I just read, I studied, I thought in ways I hadn't before. And I mean, I, I deduced there must be a God. And if so, what would he be like? And of course, a skeptic could argue your, the natural deduction got, got you back to where you were before, but it actually took me much deeper and further and more, more convinced and more clear into what I believed before. And I saw a big difference in Christianity uh, than I did in any other religion. You know, some people say, I always get to God. And I say, well, we get to God the way that God got to us. And so, you know, mm-hmm. Christianity is the, is the only idea that God became uh, a person that God stepped into our world, into our flesh. Other ideas were that people like us could become a God, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, that's really arrogant. It, it's it's seemingly impossible with every human that I know, our broken nature yep. that we all have. And so it did make sense to me, though, that the uniqueness that uh, we could get to God in the way that God got to us, God came to us. And only Christianity, only Jesus' story, the gospel, is uh, contains that element of God coming to us. And so if there is a God, what would he be like? Well, he, he'd have to be beautiful because look at all the beauty. He'd have to be powerful because look at all the power and the order mm-hmm. and the mystery and the intrigue. I mean, I liked that God. And then I, I saw the brokenness too. And so I had to say, well, is he duplicitous? Is he bipolar? Is he good and bad? Or is there another answer for the bad? Because I see beauty... So what was my answer for brokenness? So I, I, couldn't, I can't deny goodness and beauty and power, uh, but I also couldn't deny brokenness and death and sadness and sickness and suffering. So I had to have an answer for both of those things as I was exploring things. And, and again, the gospel for me answered all those. God is good, uh, but something broke these things. And, um, you know, and so the Bible actually, Tim Keller would say, the Bible is a story of what's wrong with the world, and what God did to fix it, and what's going to happen in the future. Mm. And so it, it's one common story repeat. about that. What's that? Yeah. And it's rinse and repeat. That, you know, it, it's, a, it's a story. It's a common story. The Bible is story mm-hmm. of what's wrong with the world. And I like to say, what you know, it's about the God who created the world and who he is and what he's like, and then what's wrong with the world, and then what God did to remedy that and solve it, and then what's going to happen in the future. So um, if there is a God, and I believe that he, that he is, there is, and that he exists, the, the thing I love with other people is I can sit 
calmly and confidently with people who disagree with me. And their answers don't intimidate me because their answers aren't sufficient. Mm. Uh, if someone says there's not a God, their answers for all of these other questions, they don't work either. Mm-hmm. Like if they think my answers don't work, I, I know that their answers don't work either. So I'm not intimidating when somebody doesn't believe. And they also know that they don't have full clarity on all of their mysteries. Mm-hmm. Right. And so all of us are limited in our ability to understand it all. But if there is a God, and I believe there is, and what is he like? He's beautiful and good and powerful and enduring. He's before us, bigger than us, beyond us. Um, and then he came to us then I would think he would also want to con- communicate with us. And so um, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, capture God in the flesh while he was here. But there were people before he came and people after he came. And so I think God is a communicative God, and he communicates by being here in the flesh with us. And so, of course, he, crea- he communicates through creation, and he-, he communicates through this thing inside of us that makes us all wrestle with this. But he also wanted to communicate more clearly. So for me, the Bible is God uh, with his people communicating through people to us. And so, wow. and, it, and what he's communicating is the story of who he is, what's wrong with the world, because we need to know mm-hmm. what's he going to do to fix it. We need that hope. And then what's in the future? That's amazingly put. <laughs> what was your question? Um, I guess to, to, to piggyback off of that answer... You know, if the Bible was, you know, the original form of communication and, and that's what we use um, for our faith and for our scripture to learn and, and, and understand, where do the spinoffs come in theology and religion of the differences between Catholic or Baptist or Methodist yeah. or Pentecostal? And, and, and how can the convictions of the people that follow those be so opposite in the conviction of what the Bible actually stands for. There's just so much confusion in religion. Well, I agree. And um, it's one of the things that Jesus prayed that he wanted us to be unified. I don't think that means that we would be uniform. I think that means that we'd be unified. Uniform would mean we all exactly agree on everything. I actually love some differences that we can all wrestle through while holding some things that are absolutely clear that we can't let go of. Mm. Had someone this week was wrestling through, they were wrestling through this question of the Bible and they're like, well, how can we trust the Bible? Because it's been rewritten so many times. I said, it hasn't been rewritten. It's been translated. You know, if I, if I go to Germany, I need somebody to tell me what these German words mean because I don't speak German. Right. If I'm in a Spanish-speaking world, I can translate much of that myself, but there's still some words that I'm not really quite sure about. That's especially true with Hebrew and with Greek and with Aramaic. So the Bible hasn't been rewritten. Now, there may be some words that we can quibble over and say, I don't know exactly if this word means exactly this. Mm-hmm. But the story of the Bible has never been rewritten through translation. And so True. Uh, we've had some we've had languages translated and language is always changing. But that that doesn't mean that we can't understand what it was originally meaning. Right. And so, you know, one of the you know, just like science has laws, uh, the laws of gravity, laws of reproduction and all mm-hmm. these things. So does uh, what would be called um, like the science of interpreting scripture. Hmm. And so. One of the laws of interpreting scripture is that scripture interprets scripture. 
Because, I mean, we have 66 books of the Bible and thousands of verses, and God's telling a story. It's beautiful. It's comprehensive. It's complex. And so people, though, can take a part of that story and make it a caricature. Like if somebody wanted to take uh, something I said today and clip it out, they can build a caricature out of that. But that wouldn't be fair, you know, because I'm telling a whole story here. And, um, And people do that with the Bible. So they'll take a verse... Or they'll take an idea and they'll build a caricature out of that. And we have many denominations and even religions and even cults who have taken aspects of God's story in the Bible and made a caricature out of that. Mm -hmm. And so when we, though, interpret Scripture with Scripture, uh, that protects that from happening. Hmm. So the reasons that we have so many fractions and fissures is because people have taken parts and made a whole out of that one part. And, and that's where, at least for the concept of, of church project, it is, it's a biblical teaching. It is based off those biblical Everyone principles. would say that their teaching is biblical. And so everybody would claim that. I mean, nobody's going to claim that they're unbiblical or partially biblical. But one of the things that we want to ensure is that we're, uh, we're taking tradition out. Like Jesus, Jesus actually told people, he said, you have taken scripture out and you've inserted elevated the traditions of man and so we're looking for hey what are the traditions of man like uh i I had lunch yesterday with some people uh sorry this is thursday i had lunch two days ago with some people and their family thinks that they they've gone off the reservation because they're not a part of that person's denominational church and they said what are you concerned about that i've left and everything that these people talked to them about was tradition it had nothing to do with scripture. It had nothing to do with their doctrine or theology, and That's so yeah. So um, I think sense. we're trying to take away unnecessary tradition. Not all tradition is bad, and a lot of it I nostalgically miss. I love things about tradition, but one of the reasons we don't insert them here is because they've covered up doctrine, and people are following traditions of man over doctrine. Over doctrine. Yeah. Well, yeah. Christmas would be a perfect example of that. In what way? Well. Santa Claus, presents, it, it, you can still, it's not saying that you can't celebrate Christmas because mm-hmm. that is a tradition that we've created. Right. But for us to say, kids, we're going to put out Santa Claus decorations because mm-hmm. it's biblical. Mm-hmm. It's not. It is a tradition that we've created based on right. the story of Jesus's birth. That is where Christmas right. came from originally, but we've turned it into something else. That's true, and that would be culture more than within the church. But within the church, we have traditions around Christmas or around Easter or around, you know, every Sunday. We have traditions that we've added on to mm-hmm. Scripture that are as unnecessary as your Santa Claus example. And so, what we've tried to do at our church is take away all these, um, all of these traditions. And just get down into the word together. Now, I'm not saying every tradition is bad, but if it's in between <laughs> the scripture added onto it, then it's bad. Yeah, and that's that. That's that biblical standard. You know, you always have that to fall back on. That's right. Of what you talked about in the beginning, and that's mm-hmm. that's for that simplicity. And you always have to go back to that. Yeah. And and you can you can really put everything up against it and see how it fares. I agree. We went to church. Starting in 2012 with Church Project. Yep. 
And then when we moved in 2016 or 2017, early 2017, we visited multiple other churches um, in our area uh, that was a little closer. And one of the things that we noticed that was different from what we would learn when we go to church project is that there would be basically uh, a few key words that they would talk about that would be the overall subject for the day and mm-hmm. then there would be you know a whole sermon around it where yeah. scripture was pulled from different areas that may or may not have been relevant to what his topic was but it kind of sounded like it yeah. so it was made to fit and then it was converted to culture today yeah. in some way mm-hmm. and Trey and I quickly noticed we were like we're not really growing here. Like mm-hmm. we're not. We're not. We're barely cracking. So, our, it was all, so surface. Mm-hmm. We're barely cracking our Bible open. I mean, it's it good. It felt good. Mm-hmm. Like we felt good. You know, felt like we were more positive. Um, but we were not learning scripture. So when we come to church project, would you call it a Bible church? Because I've heard that term used, where you're basically just every single week breaking down a certain passage of the Bible, and we go in order. What is yeah. your whole setup? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, there is a denomination that is actually called a Bible church denomination. Okay. You know, I mean, people are trying to fit fit us into um, not just uh, theologically where do you stand on things, but their the life that they've lived has generally has been based in a denomination. So when people, I get this almost every week, people will ask us in the foyer when I stand there, thousands of people are coming by. And I talk to hundreds every Sunday. What denomination are you? And I say, well, we're the same one that's in the Bible. And I'll just sit there and they'll say, which one is that? It, it happens like this all the time. What, what, is this a part of the denomination? Like, well, yeah, we're the same one that's in the Bible. Which one is that? Exactly. There's not one. Um, I no, understand why that. there are denominations. I get why there are denominations. Uh, <laughs> denominations generally identify certain caricature doctrines that we talked about earlier. Rules. Like we could say caricature of certain doctrines and traditions is what identifies certain denominations. You know, some denominations started uh, with the purpose of a shared mission together, but generally they're identified by these certain aspects of doctrine as our as our face as our front you know us by this and and then these traditions will be practiced here mm. so when people come to our church they're looking for okay you don't have the traditions that we practice but you must practice some so you're not my old denomination what denomination are you so we never have people i say never almost never and proportionally so low compared to anywhere I've been that are quibbling with our doctrine or our theology because we're presenting it scripturally comprehensively. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a one path. It's not a direct path of this is what I'm familiar with. And so there, there, people are really trying to put us in a box of traditions and caricatures, you know, these certain um, doctrines. So are we, we're not a part of a denomination. You know, when people say, what kind of church are you? I just say, we're Jesus in the Bible, you know. And I get that that doesn't work for everybody, but I think it should. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's they, where it started, and, and that's where we're going to get back to. <laughs> yep. And if they know. come for more than just one sermon, <laughs> they'll understand a little bit more about that's it. That's right. Yeah. You know, it, it, it takes that um, that eye-opening 
you know, opportunity of just humbling your thoughts and humbling what you, you know. And that's what happened with me because I, I had to come in. This is nothing like what I've been raised in. This is nothing like what I'm used to. But there is just something about this that just makes me want more. Yeah. And, and it's the way that you, you interpret it, you preach it, you, you articulate it up on stage. That is just, it, it's like you're directly talking to, to our souls and our spirits coming right through the Word of God directly in our hearts. Yeah. The scripture will do that. It'll speak to people uh, powerfully in different ways. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that I, I say a, a job of a preacher is to expose and explain what the scriptures say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people will say to me, I love how you're not afraid. And I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm afraid. And they say, no, you're so bold. I love how you're not afraid. I say, I'm afraid, but I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid of one day standing before God and him saying, I called you to do this. I gifted you and trained you to do this. I put you on a pl- in a place where you could speak to a lot of people and I gave you my word and you didn't use it. You came up with other things. Yeah. I mean, I feel very accountable to God for what I do as a pastor or preacher. And, you know, I mean, there's some Old Testament prophets who should scare a lot of preachers today because God doesn't, God doesn't like that we would add different words or take different words away or changed his approach to his people he gave us his word for a reason and then my job as a pastor is to preach that to people now i'm a human being so i don't always do it perfectly but i I have measures in place to make sure scripture is interpreting scripture but i have my own humanity i mean there are days where i'm tired uh you know there was one sermon that um not too long ago that week was an especially hurtful week for me and I, I brought a little bit of that residue there, and I wished I wouldn't have. But most weeks I don't. But, yeah. you know, so, I mean, we're also having to know these are human beings who are taking the words of God to translate them to us. So that's why the Apostle Paul loved this church in Berea. He said, I love it. I'll speak the word to them, and then they'll take their Bibles and make sure, hey, this is what mm-hmm. this is what, what the word was. says. Yeah. And I love that about our church, people who know the word. They want more of it, and they know whether or not this is doctrinally sound. Well, speaking of humanizing you, um, you are happily married mm-hmm. to beautiful woman Brooke. Yeah. And how many children do y'all have? Yeah, I have seven. Seven. Big family. And how long you all been together? Thirteen years we've been married. That's, that's beautiful, and that's you know I think I, I saw you a couple weeks at a couple weeks ago at church, and I was you know, I follow you on Facebook, and you know you make your life available. You don't hide anything. You, you, you. I wouldn't say expose it, but you share it. Mm-hmm. And and the balance that you have of being human, of having a wife, having kids, and yeah. dealing with real life situations, but still leading a congregation and 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 leading a church. It's. I think I told you that time. It's like the balance you have in your life is is infectious, mm-hmm. and it's something that that I follow, and it's something that I strive for. And, you know, just getting to know you over the years has just been, you're an amazing leader, an amazing person. Oh, thanks for saying that. Well, you know, um, I grew up in a, I grew up in a church where there's good doctrine and really good people, uh, but not a lot of shared life, like Mm -hmm. really authentically. I experienced that a little bit when my family uh, sort of exploded. My parents were very engaged uh, foundationally in the life of our church. And then, you know, uh, my family blew up and it wasn't good. It was really lonely. And I, uh, I kept going to church, but every, everybody else was disconnected. 
And I just thought, I think there has to be more connectivity, more authenticity in a church. And so that's got to start with me. You know, I'm a human being. And if I, if I act superhuman or like I'm never weak or I'm never having struggles, that'd be discouraging to everybody else. Yeah. I mean, we're all, we're all having some seasons that are harder than others. Yep. We're all struggling. There are all things that we're wrestling with. And so, you know, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So I should be leading the charge among us of following Jesus. But I'm not going to lead the charge of perfection. That's Jesus' job. It doesn't come without fault. (laughs) That's right, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I like like being a human being and not trying to be the Savior and Lord, you know. Well, this leads... Sorry, one more thing. Um, I know, I'm just sorry. I'm convicted here. One one of the things that that really kind of humbled me in what, what... church project was and what you were as a pastor is, you know, I always looked at the pastors up on stage and I was like, man, those are, those, they're, they're perfect. You know, they, they do everything right. And, you know, they're, they're untouchable. And, you know, one of the things that humbled me was, uh, I think you responded to a Facebook tr- post over Christmas time, uh, when I was putting together a dollhouse for my daughter mm. and, and you're like, yeah, man, I've done the same thing, you know, hang in there, you'll get through it. And, <laughs> you know, to just have that interaction with, my pastor, who I barely even knew, um, it it touched my heart, and it was like, man, this is this is real. This is this is human life. Um, with him up on stage preaching to us on how to live properly, and um, I don't know, that was a moment for me that just embedded wanting to follow you more. That's cool. Thanks. Well, you know, I mean, I know that I can't be everybody's uh, pastor. Right. That's why we have so many house church pastors mm-hmm. in our church so everybody can be pastored but then beyond that I, I mean this is where i live and these are people that i see and this is my community too i mean i started yeah. a church for my family and myself as well yeah. and so you know we have friends and people that we love and so i don't take it upon myself to feel like i got to pastor thousands of people that's why we have distributed leadership in house churches but i I do enjoy people like you guys and others, and so that's why I'm friends with people on Facebook for my life and friendship, (laughs) not for my job. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. I feel passionate about staying healthy and fit. Mm -hmm. I know you do, too. Mm -hmm. Um, You uh, you set that example while we were in Israel and took off down. Where was that? That wasn't the Maccabees. No, that was the... Um, It was Masada. Masada. I always always, Maccabees, Masada. Yeah. Jason takes off um, in horrible heat, crazy. Yeah. Um, I feel that our ability to spread joy in the world and do work um, is only done if you can, well, not only done, but it's better done if you're healthy, mentally, physically, emotionally Mm -hmm. stronger. And what what are your thoughts on that, on keeping yourself healthy? Well, I mean, we're, I think we're, we're made in the image of God. We're body, soul, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think we have to, we want to be fully submitted to God and follow his path in every area of our life. I think some people uh, get too focused on their health. Like the Apostle Paul said, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, he said. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I know people who just focus on physical Paul training. About working out. Well, the Apostle Paul said physical training does have some value. But the context he was uh, describing it in, I mean, he's in a 
he's in a culture where they highly, you know, valued being fit. I mean, the games, yeah. the Olympics, all, yes. all these things. I mean, you know, Greek, you look at all the statues. Oh, we were in Italy this summer, the warriors. statue of David. I'm like, that dude was fit. He yeah. was naked and fit, man. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, we should be taking care of our bodies. And there are seasons where I haven't done that as well as others. And that doesn't even mean that I got overweight. That just meant, man, I'm not in shape. I want to be able to do anything at any time uh, that God calls me to do. I, for that purpose, I keep a literal and a metaphorical mountain. I always have a metaphorical mountain in front of me, like a new project that I'm always working on that I believe I can conquer. And I have a literal mountain in front of me, too, all the time. So I always know this is going to be my next climb. And so Kilimanjaro or Everest base camps a couple of times, you know, I mean, I don't want to not be able to do something And my kids. I like them going with me. And so I don't want to not be able to climb Everest base camp next year uh, with my kids. I want to be able to climb it with them. When are y'all doing that? I love it. Uh, It'd be the next October. That's amazing. That's that's the plan. What elevation are you climbing to? Uh, Well, I think at that one, we have to climb to uh, it's nineteen five or twenty, and get down to eighteen nine get at base down. camp or something. It's well, you insane. climb a little bit it's above insane. base you camp. Have to no get idea down, what it down takes to, base to do camp. that. And yeah, there's and you don't get altitude sickness. Uh, well, most yeah. people do, and people people do. And there's ways, yeah, that's right. You acclimatize, and it takes a long time, and people get sick. I I don't I don't struggle with altitude sickness, thankfully. But uh. yeah, yeah, no, it's a uh, no, it's long. You you'll climb up for days and climb back down to the elevation you were before, and. Sometimes you'll have thousands of feet of gain and and descent. I I was thinking, you know, hey, one day I wouldn't, I could see us doing, you know, Kilimanjaro. But this summer we went to Colorado. (laughs) Not you, baby. And um, we went, where were we? In Vail. And I got so sick for four days. And I was like. 8,000 feet. She's she's in bed for three days. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's tough. And then I felt better. And then it was like time to leave. Yeah, it was was tough. You have to acclimatize. But yeah, I have, I have rhythms in my life. Mm -hmm. I have. You know, I say daily, weekly, monthly, and annual rhythms. I have it mm-hmm. for our marriage. Mm-hmm. I have that for my health. I have it spiritually. Yeah. I have, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, and annual uh, rhythms of silence and solitude. Yep. And so, and also, you know, with my fitness, like daily, I, I, I don't, I have my way that works for my body, but I, you know, I, I do intermittent fasting, but just by design, I'm not going to eat after eight. I don't eat before noon. Brooke eats so so healthy that I, we don't i don't have anything in the house to that's eat the same that's thing not good for me i and have so, to go out to get yeah. the bad stuff because she didn't bring any of the bad stuff home yeah so we so anyway, got a good good so we have there. things and we're on the same page in our home which is really helpful yeah, too. yeah i love that and okay these are just some simple questions what time do you wake up in the morning well it depends like this morning i woke up at six forty-five, but okay. i didn't try to I have alarm set so in the morning i'll um I'm usually up around seven to seven fifteen, nice. and uh, and I go to bed at like twelve thirty or one. Oh wow! Yeah. So you go to bed kind of late. I stay up late, so I, okay. I found. I mean, my rhythm now is I'm at about six six to six and a half hours of sleep. I, you have to have organization in your life because you have so many projects that you're working on, but you're also basically making a report. I mean, like old school, you know, us in college, you know, yeah, I have a book report due. You're doing that for each of your sermons. I mean, you have your outline set up, you have what you want to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, you free flow once you're up there because you've made it. But you have to not only – I you're preparing these things. I don't know how you do it. You're preparing this <laughs> – Years we'll in advance. 
right? I mean, because you're having you go to Israel and you'll film all these little clips mm-hmm. that will correlate with the sermon that you're going to teach, but mm-hmm. you might have filmed that a year ago. Mm-hmm. So, well, I broke the passages down and the estimation of the sermons, but I didn't study that passage uh, in to a place that I could preach a sermon on it. Okay. So I just sort of I went through the whole book of John, for example, right. and I saw probably about 60 different sermons through that. But I didn't dig deeply into each of those passages. I do that the week of. Oh, the week of. Mm-hmm. So it's fresh on your mind. Yeah. I, okay. This week I will usually start either Sunday night or Monday. I put the next passage of Scripture in my in my notes, in my phone, and on mm-hmm. my iPad. And throughout the week I'm adding to it. I'm thinking about it. I'm going over the Scripture over and over. And I have a, I have a system for me that works, you yeah. know. And, um, are you meditating on them too? I yes. mean, so you yeah. and meditation to you is well, it's just it, it, or, it's you know, I mean, meditating is deeply considering something. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways to meditate. People meditate. I, I like to, I want to meditate on the scriptures daily, but I'm also meditating on the passage of scripture that I'm preaching, and so I will sit and deeply consider uh, this moment. Mm-hmm in the passage of scripture all week long. And um, I want to discover what was happening, what was God originally intending to say to us, why did he include this for us? How can I express this in a way that we can understand it? Mm-hmm. And um, and what do we do with it? Uh, I think there's a difference between teaching and preaching. And you know the lines are a little bit blurred, but preaching is gonna have some prophetic like application, like we must do this and if we don't mm-hmm. you know that's what that's what prophetic teaching would be so this is what the scripture is saying and if we don't do this uh there will be a consequence for us a cost that we would regret not paying now and and reap the consequence later so yeah i'm i'm in that all week long okay talk to Got us it. about um your podcast uh well i'm you know during covid I had, I had never done a live anything yeah, or, or recorded anything before COVID. So I'd never recorded a sermon and given that to people. COVID forced that. Yeah. It was very unusual. I mean, I was preaching to a camera. We tried it different ways. I put people in the room and thought I'd preach to them. That was horrible. <laughs> then uh, I had a camera. <laughs> to look at them. So it took, me, it took me a while, but <laughs> I, had to I, had to, I had to really think. I, thankfully, I knew the people on the other side of the lens, a lot of them. But I really had to think, I, I love the people that I'm speaking to right now. And so that was big for me. I, then after months of people being disconnected to each other, I thought, how can I every day help people be connected uh, to something? And I thought live would be great. So people feel, because we, we missed a lot of live connection. Yep. Horrible season, but produced some really great things. There's some great things that came out of that time. Absolutely. And so I just started in my backyard because I was home. Yeah. I'm like from, I don't know, 8 to 8.30 or 9 to 9.30. I can't remember what time. I was just going to do a live. Let's just, I'm going to read a passage of scripture. We're going to walk through it. I'm going to step away from the lens and just let you pray. I'll come back and we'll do the next verse, next part of a verse. And I did that. And it went from dozens of people to hundreds to then thousands of people every day were just tuning in on this and commenting. And I was able to see people say their name and then we'd pray and it was done. But then... That didn't work in my schedule sustainably, and uh, I had to get back to a rhythm. 
Uh, but I thought, hey, there is some value here of helping guide people in what I do every day. I'll meditate on a passage of scripture every day. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, how can I translate that? So um, we came up with this idea of start with seven. It would just be seven minutes that you start your day with. I hope people will take more. But like on a Sunday, we practice three minutes of silence and meditation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we do seven minutes on a daily basis. Did, did, did the biblical number of seven have any no. relevance in that? No, okay. it's just phraseology. I, I know you made Sorry fun of people that table. use numbers and stuff at church. No, that freaks me out sometimes. I'm not usually friends with people who are into all the biblical numbers. But uh, no, it's just something. It was simple. It was doable. It was... Uh, you know, it's memorable, yeah. and so it just start with seven. But okay. like, I want to do more than three minutes, but ten or fifteen minutes. I just want people to take the next step in their time mm-hmm. alone with the Lord. Yeah. So we'll show you three minutes on a Sunday. We'll do seven minutes on a daily basis. But I hope that people are spending more time with that, mm-hmm. and that's why we have resources connected to it. Hey, here's something you can read, or another way to read your Bible. All different so, directions to go from it. Yeah. So start with seven is that, and. Um, then we started this idea called Good God Gospel. That was other phraseology we used to help people know how to share the gospel. Like, let's just all have good conversations with people. Let's mm-hmm. just be good people doing good things and have good conversations. We should be. Like right. Jesus said, let your light shine before No matter men. what their faith is. Man. So important. Listen, when Jesus came into the world, nobody's faith was in him. Nothing. Everybody he met didn't yeah. yet have the faith. And he was kind and loving to people who rejected him. So we should be we should be the best people. We should be doing the most good things, having the most good conversations. Okay. And so I think people um, they don't they separate. I I I don't agree the gospel with these people, so I can't be good to them. It doesn't make any sense to me. Right. And so we should be so good in our conversations and our acts of kindness. So we want to have good conversations. And we want people to have God conversations. Mm-hmm. Like, um, for me, there's not a subject we can talk about that God hasn't done something in my life because of it. But, you know, who is God and what has he done? What's wrong with the world and how did he fix it? That's the gospel. That's the story of Jesus, our salvation. So good God gospel. So this is something we're really building, too. So Love start that. with seven. Good God gospel. I'm doing some writing on that now. Hopefully a book at some point in the next year yeah. on that. Yeah, That's awesome. I love it. My goal is to make someone feel loved and connected and heard, whether they are a witch, mm-hmm. into New Age, mm-hmm. um, Hindu, Buddhist, um, Muslim, whatever. And, and she practices this yeah. wherever I bet. we go. What? I love it. There is no stranger you ever meet. So um, good. We're at the airport or the restaurant. I'm like, okay. That's awesome. <laughs> you get good conversations that way. Oh, yeah. Man, I mean, people are longing to be loved. And I have yeah. no problem with sharing my faith, but in, if if when it come, if and when it comes up naturally, yeah. I'm not trying to push them on it, push it on them, just having a conversation right. that might have naturally come, come up, and I want them to walk away and say, that person was different than most of the Christians I know. I have met yeah. or that were jerks. I mean, you know? if we read the way of Jesus, he was not forcing a faith conversation on anyone. Never. No. He, he was willing to have it and wanting to have it, but you know, he let a guy walk away sad who rejected what he, what he had to say. So I think if we're forcing faith conversations on people, one, it doesn't work, but two, yeah. it's just not the way of Jesus. Yeah. So we earned that right by being good and having good conversations. And if somebody is not wanting to have a God conversation, they're sure not ready for a gospel conversation yet. But my hope and prayer always is that we can move along that line quickly. 
Yeah. I just wanted to uh, end this podcast and say that um, when you talk about herbs and things in the Bible, <laughs> do you want to talk I about want. That? Well, no. When you, if you ever, <laughs> if it ever comes up on scripture oh, and yeah. you're reading it and yeah. they're talking about a perfume or an herb, I just wanted to make it be known that it was an essential oil. It wasn't. <laughs> and now that you know, I know that you know, and you know that I know that you okay. know, and um, I know that you know that I know that you know. I don't know if so, I know, but I do know that you know. <laughs> I don't know what I know about it. From but I know my you understanding, know a lot about it. it's 216 times. Just really? saying, Here we 216 go. times where it's mentioned Maybe in the Bible. Maybe you should start a denomination. On that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. Get the doctrine. The Church of Essential Oils. <laughs> That's right. I, I love I it. it. That's right. Oh, Jesus's view Lord. on essential right. oils. Galbanum. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Loved it. I love the conversation. Loved having you here. Me so, too. To invite me, I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah, so you're great. Everyone, you can follow Jason Shepard. Um, go. Well, first off, you can download the Church Project app. That's yep. right. You can listen to the sermons. You can. It's so amazing how it's set up. You can choose a sermon, and it's all. It'll say the Book of John. You know, and then it'll have the overall topics, the main idea of it, and you can do that. Since the beginning of church. That's right. And then also your podcast, Start With Seven, Mm -hmm. Jason Shepard. And they can find your books on Amazon, right? Yeah, jasonshepard.com has, you know, some articles we've written about church, the books we've talked about, and then links to Start With Seven, some Good God Gospels. Goodgodgospel.com. You can find all that at jasonshepard.com. Okay. And come by by and see us at Church Project. (laughs) It's a beautiful facility, and uh, there's a lot of amazing things happening there. Yeah. And it's free coffee in the lobby, y'all. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. See you later. Thanks for listening to another episode of According to the Castles with Amy and Trey. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. To stay up to date with the castles, follow Amy on Instagram at acastles. Until next time, have faith, enjoy life, and love abundantly. There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition.
Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com.